Praise the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. We thank God for his holy word that he gave to man to reveal himself to us. And so may we turn to God's revelation to Hebrews 10th chapter. I'll be looking at verses 19 to 25 as we're going to deal with how to draw near. We cannot just come to God in any fashion. There's a certain requirement that is needed to meet him. And with that in mind, we need to understand that there's nothing that we have done that made it able for us to meet him. But someone had to go before us. Someone had to be the trailblazer. Someone had to be the first to make the way. We know him as the way. And so, therefore, he is the way. And we thank you that he is not dead and gone, but he is the living way. And so we want to look at how I can draw near. Look at your neighbor and tell him how I will draw near. We will draw near close to our father, but yet I, before we get there, we need to first look at why we are able to draw near. If you open to the, from the Hebrews writer, 10th chapter, I'm reading from New Living Translation, verses 19 to 25. I'm reading that in our hearing, but I also always challenge you to read the word, read the word, read the word. Because uh, what I'm going to be dealing with is going to come a little bit from uh, the 10th chapter, but a whole lot from every other chapter and book in the Bible. So please have your Bible open and, and try your best not to fall asleep, because I will try not to be before you long, but I will be in the word. So if you are there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, please say, hold on. I will hold on because I want us to journey together so we hope come to the same destination. Amen. Amen. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, looking at verse 19 to 25. If you're not there, say, hold on. I'll hold on. And as we're waiting, let me give a little background. This the author of the Hebrews writer is not sure who the author is. Some, some put it on to Paul as the author, uh, but yet it's very unclear historically who this author is. But the audience are Jewish Christians uh, that have received this word. And the problem is that they have been dealing with issues of wanting to go back to the old way. They wanted to go back to what Moses has done. They wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to go back how things used to be. And they were leaving, leaving what it meant to be Christians. Some of us in our lives have maybe been there that we confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Things became good in our lives. And then all of a sudden we decided to go back to once we first knew. It's, it's so easy to go back to what's familiar. 
Because what's familiar, you know how it works, you know how it plays out, you, you know how to correct it. But when something's new, then you have to hold on and wait for something new to happen. And so that's why we see here when Paul, excuse me, the author uh, exhorts them to hold on to their faith. Because the one who's given the faith, he is faithful. So it's amazing that many times in our lives that we lean onto something that is not trustworthy because we trust ourselves more than he who is trustworthy. If you're there, say, let's go. If you're not there, just say, wait one more minute. All right, let's go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have great high priests who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How to draw near. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, or my beloved, or my friends, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because... So the reason why we can draw near is because of the blood of Jesus. Another way to look at it, because of the body of Jesus. A more specific way to look at it, because of the death of Jesus. And when we say the death of Jesus, we have to understand that he did not just die. When we talk about the death of Jesus, it denotes an event, a specific event that's a a full totalization of our faith. When we say the death of Jesus, we account when he sat down with his disciples at the Last Supper and he says, take, eat of this. This represents my body. Drink of this cup. This represents my blood, which will be a ransom for many. We take into account that he was praying for them in the garden of Gethsemane and how he was so overwhelmed with grief and how he was tended to and ministered by the angels. We take into account that the one they called Judas, the one whom he betrayed, the one that betrayed him, he came and betrayed him with a kiss. We take into account that Peter took out a knife, cut off somebody's ear. Jesus picked it up and told him, who lives by the sword, dies by the sword. Jesus went off to let him know, if I wanted to, I can call 12 legions of angels to come on down here and let them know who's who. But that's not what I'm here to hear to do. And so he tells him that, Peter, even though you love me, you will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. 
But yeah, I prayed for you. That's enemy will not sit you like we, but you will repent and restrengthen your brother. We take into account. He stood before Pilate. Pilate told him, I'm going to kill you. Jesus let him know that you can't take my life. I will lay down my life and I will take it back up. We take into account. They beat him all day, all morning long, all night long. They put him on a cross. But before they got there, they had some fun. Put thorns on his head. Hit him with the stick. Say, prophet, who hit you? But that wasn't enough. They put the clothes back on him. Then they took him to the cross. But they beat him so much, he was unable to carry the cross that they had to force a man from Cyrene to carry the cross. And he carried the cross all the way to Golgotha Hill where they tore off his clothes. They hung him high. They stressed him while he hung his head and he died. But the earth shook. The, the sun refused to shine. The graves opened up. Dead bodies started walking when Christ arose from the grave. And then and then he spent some 50 days with them. Appeared to 500 people. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's just his death. So when you say the death of Jesus, all of that has to be in there. And so when someone does not understand that he died, you got to break it down to say, well, how much time do you have? Because the old folks, when the pastor would say, didn't he die? They say, didn't he die? He died, didn't he die? Yes, he died. Because he did not just die a death on the bed and say, Good, goodbye, my loved ones. I'll see you over. No, he was crucified. He bore our sins. And because of this, look, because of this, by his death, he opened a new life-giving way. Because remember, the audience are Jewish Christians, and so they are familiar with the way. Their way was that they had a priest that would tend to the altar, and then there was a high priest that could go into the holies of holies. Not everybody could go into the holies of holies, but there were many priests, but there was one high priest. And and catch this, that earlier in the chapter, it talks about how these priests made offerings or sacrifices to a temporal place for only temporal time. Meaning that they made a sacrifice that lasted only a day. They had to come back the next day. Or when they did the atonement every seven years, it was good for that one year, but they had to do it again the next. It was a time that they point out that the scapegoat and the lambs and the oxes and the blood, tell your neighbor, they weren't good enough. So there had to be a sacrifice that had to be good enough that it will cover everyone. And who was that? Tell your neighbor, it was Christ. And so Christ opened up a new life, giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go into his presence. You see, this great high priest that we have that's over the house of God. We first, I want to understand and make clear to us that the Jews understood of the tabernacle and that holy place, which was a physical place that they could go to, but we're not talking about a physical place. We are talking about the heavenly place, the most holy place to be at the throne of God. And Jesus has provided the entrance. Beforehand, the curtain was the entrance. 
And they could not go past the curtain unless they were the high priest. And the high priest had to be right to go into the curtain. History tradition tells us that they would tie a string around the high priest's leg. In case he fell out dead, they could drag him out. Because to be in the most holy place, you had to be set apart. You had to be consecrated. You look in and, and look how they did the atonement. The priest had to wash himself going in and going in and coming out and coming out. He washed himself when he got in. He had to wash himself once again. He was in. And then he cut of the, of the lamb and the ox and sprinkled the blood over the altar seat and the mercy seat. And then he washed himself again and put on new clothes to, to come out. You had to be set apart to face God. You can only face God in a certain condition. We have to make this clear. And if you look at it and you see it, that we would never, ever, ever, ever meet this requirement. But we have a new living way. When Jesus died on the cross, his death, remember his death, the curtain split from the top to the bottom. It moves away the veil. And now we have a new veil. Jesus. He is that curtain that we can enter through to get into his presence. Did not Jesus say, I am the way, the truth? And the light. He let them know, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you have seen uh, the Father. We are now able to be in the presence, to be in the council, to be in the audience of our Lord and Savior because of what he has done for us. And so since he is now over the house, I want to make this clear that we are called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood serving the house the kingdom of God and since we have one who's over all the house that's why many of us need to catch ourselves and realize you're not greater than you think you are there's only one who is great and he is the great high priest all us we just if you need to just say I'm just a little priest (laughs) because we are called to serve together the great priests who made a provision for us, and so because of this, we now have access to this eternal house that we can now draw nigh. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh unto us. And so this brings us to how we should draw nigh because of the great works that was done by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world, the line of the tribe of Judah, the horn of salvation, the bright and the morning star. He is the perfect sacrifice. I said is. Y'all heard that, right? He is the, the perfect sacrifice because do you understand they had to make fresh sacrifices? Because they need a fresh blood. But we sing that hymn, the blood never lose its power. Why is that? Because that blood is everlasting. That blood is eternal. That blood has washed us and keeps on washing us. It was his blood that sprinkled and pleased God once and for all. And that blood is forever before us. He, Hebrews talks about Jesus' blood is greater than Abel's blood. Y'all need to go back and look in Genesis because God says, whose blood do I hear crying out? He was talking about Abel's blood, but Jesus' blood is greater. 
that it cries out not just for vengeance, but it cries out for redemption. It cries out for mercy. It cries out for peace. It cries out for us. And because of this great blood, we can draw now. Y'all with me? We need to draw now with what a sincere heart. Means with a sincere heart means to have a heart that's open and pure and holy. A sincere heart means not a false heart. Many of us come, come, come with false pretenses. We need to remove the veneer, remove the pilots, remove the pomp and circumstances, and, and not come out and try to act like I'm holier than somebody. But we need to come with a sincere heart. Jesus pointed out that when he was talking about how great a prayer can be, there was a publican and there was a, a Pharisee. And the one Pharisee was talking about how fast twice a day I give and I'm great I am. The other one just says, forgive me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And that's all he could say, forgive me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Beating his chest, forgive me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. He said that was the greater prayer. We need to catch ourselves and realize that, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. We need to realize that on our best days we're still nothing but filthy rags. We need to realize that, Lord, there's none righteous before you. We need to realize that no matter how great my works may be, God, it's, it's only because of your grace. We need to realize that we are really nothing without him. And so when it comes down with a sincere heart, we come to realize that, Lord, all I am is all you've made me to be. All I have is all that you have given to me. And so therefore, Lord, I simply come with this what is yours, me. And then we come with a sincere heart full of faith. Y'all see that? We come with faith and a full assurance of faith because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Conscience, we talked about this in Bible study. Praise God for Bible study. Come on out Wednesday nights. There's a plug. Come on out Wednesday nights in Bible study. We talked about how, how do we know we're doing the will of God. The will of God has markers. Markers let us know that when your conscience is clear, you're doing what's right. But when you are wrecked with guilt and shame, you're doing something that should not be done. See, guilt reminds us that we are to be holy. But shame shackles us and binds us to think that we can never be. See, guilt reminds us how we should serve God. Shame binds us, lets you know you're never going to be able to serve him. Shame keeps you from coming into the church because you don't want anybody to see or even hear or even get a touch of what you, what you have done. Shame stops you from coming around family and friends because you're so broken, you're so down that you feel like you're not worthy to be in their presence. Shame stops you from seeing anybody because you're scared of letting them see you as you are. But when you know the great love of God, shame won't hold you back, but you'll come back and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am I'm guilty, but Lord, I thank you that I plead to your grace and your mercy. Y'all see that there? And so that's why we can come because I know I was washed by the blood of the Lamb. I needed to be washed because I know, I know I'm a wretch undone. But amazing grace has set me free. I, I, I realize that I try to all by myself uh, and I get those same results. Uh, and I'm tired of being crazy, but I want to be wise. Uh, and Wizzle had me doing a new walk and a new talk with a new attitude. Uh, I'm so glad 
that I can draw near with a sincere heart, full of faith, with my heart clean. I, I want to grab here about how we are sprinkled with Christ's blood that makes us clean. I, I know when you look at the sprinkling and, and you might be thinking of how, you know, sprinkling, we don't think that's very much, right? No, it's, rain, it's pouring down right now to sprinkling. No, it's just a little bit, but yet it was that little sprinkle that saved their firstborn sons in the Passover. It was the sprinkling of the blood on the altar that covered them for their sins. It was the sprinkling of the blood that covered them on the mercy seat to cover them that God would keep his covenant. You see, God never asked them to say, just pour it out. But he says, take the hyssop and sprinkle it. So when you are sprinkled, that's enough. That's enough. One drop is enough. And so the sprinkling of his love, his sacrifice, covers us. Look at this. Look, look. When the, they took the sprinkle the blood, they sprinkled the blood over what they wanted to consecrate. Y'all see that? God sprinkled his blood over you because he wanted to set you apart to be with him. I want you to grab this. Look, look. Have you ever been thirsty? And you were so thirsty that you, you was very careful how you drank that cup because you didn't want to spill a drop of it. Because it was that precious to you. How precious is the blood of Jesus? Would he want to waste it on anything? But yet, he did not waste it, but he made sure he put a drop, a drop on us. He sprinkled us with his blood to cleanse us. So we can draw near. Y'all see that? And so as we draw near, he makes us clean. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that our bodies are being regenerated by pure water. Y'all see that? The Holy Spirit represents the constant regeneration of us. The Holy Spirit continuously reminds us of the good work that we ought to be doing. You see, the enemy wants to lock us up with shame and guilt, but the Holy Spirit reminds us that he's faithful. The Holy Spirit reminds us that he will cover you. The Holy Spirit reminds us that he died for you. The Holy Spirit reminds us that he died on Calvary to set you free. The Holy Spirit reminds us that all we got to do is hold on to his promise. You see that? So we come, we come near. And we hold fast to his promise. The confession of our hope and not wavering. For we hope in God who is trustworthy. Another translation says he is faithful. Deuteronomy talks about God is not the son of man that he shall repent nor that he will say and not do. Our God is faithful. He is a keeper of his word. And so we can hold on and realize that I don't have to go back to what my mama said and my dad said, but I can hold on to what God has said. You see, many times in our lives that we, are, we lean on to our own understanding. We trust the almighty dollar. We trust our job, our boss, our economy, but we need to really trust our God. We are here not for ourselves but for the glory of the Lord. And, and, and I, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, he says, who counsel God? 
who, who told God to put the sun up and the stars up? Who told God how to set the days? No one. But look at us, how we try to tell God what we want with our lives. Oh, 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 no, God, not let this happen to me. And, and we laugh at it, but look at it seriously. Does the clay tell the potter what he wants to be made? If he truly is the potter, it's his discretion to choose how we are shaped and formed. It is by his discretion. So we need to catch on sometimes that, yes, you may have your opinion, you may have your choice, but there's still only one way. And that's God's way. And so the challenge is for us to make sure that am I doing his will or am I doing my will? Because if I'm doing his will, I know he's faithful and he is trustworthy and he will he will hold on to his covenant promise. His covenant promise lets me know that though though I may walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I, I know that my enemies may be all around me, but he'll prepare a table for me. <laughs> I know my enemies may be camped all around me, but they will stumble and fall. <laughs> I know that there will be some weapons formed against me, but they won't prosper. I, I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I, I know that this economy may fail. My health may fail, but I know there's a new heaven and a new earth. And, and to go along with that new heaven and new earth, is going to be a new body. I understand that how the sun may refuse to sign, but I understand there'll be no need for a sun in this new heaven and a new earth. Y'all catch it. You see here how the world may set us up to think how we need trust in them, but God is forever faithful. He is trustworthy to the end. That's why we have to hold on to his word. Hold on to his word, not giving in to idols, allowing our flesh, allowing our minds to play tricks on us and giving in to things that will draw us away from him. But instead, we start doing the things that draw us near to him. And that's one, draw near Two, have a sincere heart, have full assurance of faith, be watch and be renewed. And then we come holding fast to his truth. We say the Bible plays. This is my word. We want the word of God written upon our hearts. God said no longer will my word be written upon tablets of stone. But upon the heart of men. Where is your heart? Because if your heart is towards God. If your heart is towards God. Then your heart is towards his people. And if your heart is towards his people, then look what you will do. Then you will consider how to stimulate, how to provoke, even more uh, uh, a harder word, how to irritate one another to love. Y'all see that? Y'all, y'all with me? Right there in verse, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Because... If you love the Lord, you love his people. And if you love his people, then you want his people to do well. And, and the word there is to, to, to irritate or to motivate. Basically means this, that you will provoke them in such a way that they will do what is holy. That they will do what is good before the Lord. Y'all see that? And so when you do that, look what happens. They will do good works. 
Y'all see that? So when you have a hope and you have the faith, you get love. Y'all see that? Y'all see that? You, you, that that's a, a, a familiar formula. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. And so we see how the accumulation of trusting in our God increases our faith and our trust in him. And it also builds up our love towards him as it will show how we love one another. How did Jesus say it? That if you are my disciples, they will know that you are my disciples. How you love one another. This is my command, not a new command I give to you, but that you love one one another. You see here how it's echoed throughout the word of God, how we are to love one another. Not just the ones who look like you, who live in your neighborhood, but you are to love everyone that is near. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. If you, if you look at the crux of that message, he's talking to Jews about how they should love one another. And he didn't deal with how you love another Jew, but he highlighted that the hero, the protagonist, was the one they hated. A Samaritan. They didn't like Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They weren't pure. They weren't worshiping the true God. They were worshiping up on some hill, thinking they were doing it the right way. But Jesus pointed out to them that he was showing love. And, and it hurt him to say so because he could not say the priest nor the Levite that was showing love. He had to say the one who took care of him. He didn't want to say the word Samaritan. But yet God has challenged us to realize that when you love someone, you will make sure that whoever is in need, whoever is in need, you'll meet their need. That's the challenge. And so if we do that, then we will motivate one another. I have a neighbor that one day was snowing real hard, and, and they had a snowblower, and so they cleaned off my sidewalk and my driveway. I'm like, man, snow enough is good. And it motivated me that I cleaned off the driveway and the sidewalk of somebody else. Because it motivated me. I said, well, they already got this taken care of, so how can I be a blessing to somebody else? Well, let me go help somebody else out. It motivates somebody to love. That's the same situation when you are patient with somebody in their car, right? And you let somebody get in front. Don't they oftentimes return the favor let somebody else get in front of them? And you see, we have to be the ones that, Lord, use me. Use me to be your vessel. Use me to be the one to motivate somebody else. Because look here, that if we are being used to motivate, then we won't neglect meeting together. Y'all see that right there in the text. Y'all see how I'm walking right through it? He's making a good argument. See, I can just read it to y'all. I just want to make sure you're catching to it because this reboot writer, he's preaching, y'all. This is nothing but a sermon written down. This is great exhortation. And he's pointing out, look, look all around you. Look around you. Just look around you. Go ahead. Take your time. Look around. You got to look at me right now. Go ahead. Look around. You know there's some people missing, aren't there? Many people are missing for many different reasons. Some are out of work. Some, some are out, out of town, some are sick, some are ill, some are unable to make it here. But also there's some that are not here because of guilt and shame. And they, they feel they can't draw near to God. But yet we need to point out that there's no better place. 
to be than to be in the house of God. We need to point out that I'm here not because I want to be seen, but I'm here because of you. I'm here because you might need somebody to pray with you. Well, I'm here to pray with you. You might need somebody to, to share with you a testimony. Here's my testimony. You might be here just to hear somebody sing how good and how great our God is. And that just lifts you up. Too many times we come with individualistic ideologies. But we need to come and realize that we're here to serve a corporate body. Some people have forgiven up. The Jews, some have given up coming together and went back to their old ways. We have many people that you might talk to them and ask them how come they don't go to church. And they say, well, it doesn't take all that. I I serve God in my own way. Well, then you need to open up the Bible and let them know. My Bible tells me to draw near to God that I need to be with other people. Look, look how, I'm almost done, look how God called his people. When Moses went back to Egypt, Moses wasn't good enough. God had Moses, but he said, no, more. I need some more folks. Go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh that I want them to come out so that they can worship me. Y'all see that in the text, it's right there. So the people come out to worship him. And God said, I will make you a holy nation so that others know that you are, that I am God and that you are my people. And he's pointing out to them, and he's pointing out how great are their numbers together. That's why we see in, in Hebrews uh, 133 how they will sing this song as they will go to the sense and go unto the temple. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You see how there's a beauty of having one. Ecclesiastes says how two are better than one. We see how the Bible continuously talks about how there's unity when you come together and there's power in this. And God is letting us know that we should not neglect meeting together, as some people do. But when we meet together, we should encourage one another, especially now that the day of the return is drawing near. They believe at this time, so as we do believe, that we're in the end days. Christ is coming back again. And, and while we are waiting on his return, there's work to be done. And we were created to worship him. And worshiping him means we serve him. And the priests were called to serve in the temple. The temple represented the presence of God. But the temple as we know it from the past has been destroyed. But yet there's a new temple. The dwelling, because cast this, the temple represented where God's presence was. You know where his presence is now. And those who call on the name of the Lord. Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. But I will send you the comforter. And Jesus says, I must go so he can come. And when he comes, he will teach you what he hears. And he will groom you and grow you. And the spirit will give us the spirit of adoption that we can call him father. And because of this great spirit, we can boldly come before the throne of God. 
I want you to grab how beautiful it is that we can come before the throne of God. Think about how Esther, she says, I cannot just go to the king. This is the queen. Can't just go see her husband because she might die. But she says, if I perish, I perish. But this just can't wait. I got to go see him. Can you go tell your neighbor that I can see God without fear of dying? I can boldly go before him because of he who died and rose again. Because his blood has made a way. That's why we call him the middleman who stepped in right on time, who is daily interceding on our behalf. And so when I draw near to God, I draw near to him how I love one another. How I forgive my brothers and my sisters. How I care for the poor. How I evangelize to the lost. How I give to private devotion in my word. That's me drawing near because I need to hear the word of God. I need to spend some time just meditating in his presence. And when I do that, my heart gets convicted because I can't stand in front of a holy God knowing, knowing I'm an unholy mess. But I can come boldly because I know he'll wash me. Y'all saw that, right? He'll sprinkle me with blood. And then all of a sudden I got a new faith, a new hope that builds me up to a new love, to love one another. Zion, my brothers and sisters, we are being called to draw near. And if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. If my people were called by my name, would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. You grab that. As we draw nigh to God, that means we turn from our wicked ways and we seek his face. And God has a response to this covenant. He will hear from heaven. And he will heal our land and forgive us of our sins. He knows exactly the life you're dealing with and what you're going through. But nothing's too hard for God. He knows that you have reached a, a pinnacle uh, and an obstacle that looks as big as a mountaintop. But God just wants you to realize that he can give you like Heinz Field and he can have you get on top of that mountain. God wants you to know that he'll make your wings like an eagle, that you can fly over that mountain. I don't care what's in front of you. God is letting you know I'm bigger, I'm greater, I'm better. And if God so wants to, he can simply speak and the mountains tremble at his voice. Do you grasp that there's nothing too big in front of you that God cannot handle? So just draw nigh unto him and realize that, Lord, I come with a sincere heart. Lord, I come confessing my sins. I come with repentance. Mean I turn away from the things that have caused me to stumble and fall. And now, Lord, I desire to love you more, to trust you more. And by doing that, I will love my fellow brothers and sisters more. I will love those who don't even know you more so that they will know you by me. That's our challenge. That's our challenge. That the church, the church, this is wonderful how we come together. We should not forget this. But do not forget when you walk out how you need to draw nigh to God at your workplace, at your school, at your home. The sad state that many of us act more holy and act more Christian outside of our house than we do inside our house. 
our children, our spouses need to see us loving the Lord. They need to see us praying more. They need to see us studying more. You can't tell somebody that you study the word of God and they've never seen you study. They've never seen you pray. But you won't bring your Bible every day to church. Or you make sure you got it outside in your car so you always got it. But you didn't make sure that you have God's word written within your heart. So you will not sin against him. May we bow our heads. Lord, we come drawing nigh unto you. Lord, we don't want to go back to the old ways. We don't want to go back to what's been comfortable, what's been familiar. But, Father, Lord, we want to trust you. We want to believe in you. We want to confess right now unto your God. That you are holy, you are holy, you are holy, Lord God Almighty. And, Father, Lord, we surrender right now to you, God, because it all belongs to you. And, Lord, we thank you that the price that was paid on Calvary, that we can definitely draw nigh unto you. And so, Lord, we ask you to look into our hearts right now, expose what needs to be exposed, O God, so that it will no longer be master over us, but, Lord, we will surrender and let you be our Lord and that we will no longer serve the flesh, but we'll worship you in spirit and in truth. We magnify you, O God. We glorify you. Lord, there's someone here who does not know Jesus. As their Lord and Savior, we ask right now, Lord, they confess with their mouth and they believe in their heart that, you, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave on the third day. And they're seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I pray if, they don't have, if someone here does not have a church home, that this is the place you've gathered them here. Lord, we welcome them here in this place. Lord, we ask you just to move in our hearts as only you can. And Lord, we'll be so humbled to be obedient to your will. For obedience is better than sacrifice. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. 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 Maybe stand, extend the hand of the side.